welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Welcome to this week's edition of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I am Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. I often get emails from listeners asking me questions and suggesting topics or even suggesting potential guests for the podcast. I decided on the topic for this week's podcast because of an email I was sent from a salon owner who wrote to me, and I'm going to read the essence of what she said. How does a traditional salon transition to dealing with the ever-growing trend of team members who have been employees and who now drift to working from home or renting chairs and other forms of autonomy? How do you maintain the branding of your business, any kind of order and good management when your employees want to set their own schedule, choose the hours they work, who they serve, choose the clients that they want, choose the brands that they use and wear the clothes that they want, etc. So that was her question. And I know that this is how many salon owners feel. So first of all, understand that you're not alone. It is a real issue and COVID has made much of it even more of an issue as the traditional ways of doing business have been put under even more pressure. So I'm going to address this question in two different stages. The first stage is maybe a bit more direct, which is, What most people usually want is an answer, even if they don't always like the answer, because it doesn't always offer an easy solution. The second stage requires more work, and it's to try and understand the the root causes of why something is changing and the challenges that come with it. Because once you do that, perhaps it's easier to see the opportunities that it also presents. So the first answer is about the need to accept a degree of change and deciding how much, if at all, that you want to embrace those changes and to understand the potential implications if you don't. The world we live in is constantly changing. Society constantly changes. People's needs and expectations change. Technology changes. And Businesses need to evolve and change as well in order to stay relevant, because with every new generation that enters the workforce, they enter a world that is different to the world that existed before them. So it's inevitable that your business model will always be evolving, and so you need to find a way to evolve with it so that it's a win-win for everyone. The important thing, though, is to recognize that it's not a case of all change overnight and that you have to upend how you think about your business and the people that you employ. The other thing is to remind yourself is that, as has always been the case, not everyone will want the same thing, whether it's employees or employers. And I believe that there's an opportunity for every business model to thrive because there are certain needs and expectations that run through everyone, regardless of the type of business they have or what generation they're from. At the moment, the business model that's under the most pressure is a traditional 
employee-employer-based salon model. But despite that pressure, there are many very successful traditional employee-employer-based salons that have strong leadership and a clear vision about who they are and what they want. They know what they're prepared to compromise, and they know what they aren't prepared to compromise. I think it's important that as a business that you stand for something and that you're not overly influenced by short-term trends because then you end up standing for nothing. Remember, it's your business. So don't be afraid to put a stake in the ground and say, this is who we are and this is how we do it here. And yes, always be prepared to listen. But at the same time, know what you're prepared to change and what you aren't prepared to change. And remember, whatever you decide, you can always change that too. So choose the lane that you want to operate in as a business. Accept that it will not appeal to everyone, whether it's staff or clients, and that's okay. But believe in yourself as a leader. Believe in your vision. And I believe that you will attract others who believe in it too. Now, the second stage of answering this question. It's to look at the bigger picture and to understand how the industry is changing, what it is that drives those changes, and to try and identify some of the opportunities that exist. And as is always the case, change always brings both challenges and equally opportunities. And remember, the first step in capturing any opportunity is being open to it. So let's dig into this. In my capacity as a salon coach, questions about staff recruitment and staff retention always come up. And although it varies from country to country, there's often a big shortage of quality people entering the hairdressing industry. And I think that that puts even more pressure on salon owners to always be compromising their business model in an attempt to attract and keep people while still maintaining some sort of control. So this topic will inevitably raise more questions than it provides answers, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't constantly be thinking about it and talking about it. I moderate a, a regular room every Monday on Clubhouse, and recently the subject that we discussed was a question I'm often asked, which is, how do I make a career in hairdressing more appealing to Gen Z? And this question is inextricably linked to the question that I were emailed about at the beginning of this podcast. In the clubhouse room, I had a cross-section of co-presenters and speakers from the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, and it included both salon owners, barbers, and a Gen Zer, if that's even the right term. So to answer the question, how do we make a career in hairdressing more appealing to Gen Z? Let's start by turning the question on its head and break it down into four components. The first component is, well, who are Gen Z? The second component is what makes them different from previous generations. The third step is, what are typical character traits of Gen Z? And at number four, what are they looking for in a job? In other words, what are their needs and expectations? What are their wants and desires? Because once we know the answers to those questions, then as salon owners and educators, we're in a better position to ask, how can we adapt and evolve our businesses 
to support their needs and expectations, and at the same time, allow the owner to build a strong, viable business that can reward the people properly who work there, while still having the financial resources to develop the brand and reinvest into the business so that it can grow and create more opportunities for you and others to also grow. So let's start by answering the first question. Who are Gen Z? Well, they are the generation that is entering the workforce now and for the next 10 to 15 years. According to Google, Gen Z are those people born between 1997 and 2015. This puts them in the age group of between the age range of 6 to 24 years old in 2021. So now you can see why this is important for us to understand this age group, because in many instances in the hairdressing sector, they already make up the majority of your workforce. But before I go any further, it's important to say that although there is a clear date as to when the millennial generation stopped, which was 1996, and when Gen Z started, which was 1997, obviously there isn't a moment in time whereby it's all change. And from that date forward, that we have this brand of new breed of human with different needs and expectations. The reality is that it's more of a case of a a general trend about that generation based on the world that they were brought up in and the influences that they were exposed to, which then makes it possible to make some fairly accurate generalizations and observations about them. So that then leads us on to the second question, which was, what makes them different? Not how they are different, but what is it that made them different to those that came before? Personally, I always think that it's really interesting to understand what those factors are because it enables us to understand and then even predict why they are the way that they are, if that makes any sense. The single biggest thing that makes Gen Z different to the previous generations that came before is that Gen Z are the first generation that have never known a world without the internet. They are the first generation of so-called digital natives who literally from birth have been exposed to the internet, social media networks, and to mobile communication systems. So just think about the implications of that. All their life, they've been brought up with a device of some description in hand, and they're comfortable being self-learners and researching using multiple platforms and information sources and absorbing knowledge online. That's a big deal. So just think about the potential impact that that has on the training and education model for today and the future. Likewise, with recruitment, their world is online. They're not scouring the newspapers or bulletin boards or the front window of your salon looking for jobs. Instead, they're looking at your website. They're checking out your social media feeds. They're reading reviews and they use the internet to find jobs and companies that fit with their values and their aspirations. And of course, the big unknown is what will be the long-term impact of COVID on Gen Z? Sure, COVID's affected all of us, but for Gen Z, even though they haven't suffered as much from the health aspect of COVID, there's a deep insecurity around employment. A lot of them have lost their jobs and they're transitioning into a world where there's a lot of insecurity 
about what the future work prospects will hold for them. This generation has grown up with the realities of global warming and an increased understanding of environmental issues that threaten the planet and our very survival. They're looking at and questioning a political system that in many previously stable economies has recently been tearing itself apart. Gen Z also have a greater understanding of a lack of diversity and inequality around sex, race, and sexual identity. And they're part of a more mobile workforce with a rapidly growing gig economy work model. So how and what impact will that have on starting a career in the beauty industry? Because there's bound to be both positive and negatives on starting a career in hair and beauty. That brings us to the third and fourth questions, which are, what are the typical character traits of Gen Z? What are they looking for in a job? What are their needs and expectations? So after looking through a variety of research online, I compiled a list of five key points that answer that question that I want to share with you that I think fit perfectly with what I see in the world that we live in and how it impacts on the hair and beauty sector going forward. The first one is that Gen Z value mobility and multiple realities, meaning that Gen Zers For them, the key point is is not to define themselves through only one stereotype, but rather for individuals to experiment with different ways of being themselves and to shape their individual identities over time. Now, on one hand, I don't think that's anything particularly new because it's been a case for a long time that in our 20s, most people are experimenting to some degree with who they are and what they believe and what they think to be true, whether it's about their sexuality or about how they define beauty or their own political beliefs. In our 20s, we all experiment more with our hair, our clothes, music and fashions, etc. But maybe, maybe Gen Z have taken it further because they really do seem to value mobility more. And maybe that means that they are more transient and less likely to conform and stay in a job for as long. Obviously, if you're a salon owner, that has an impact on you. Because especially if you're fixed on the idea of only having stable long-term employees. But ask yourself, could you do it another way? For example, there are now some stylists who work in more than one salon and commute to a clientele in another city or even another country and spend a week or so there once a month. I'm not talking about everybody here, but I know of several stylists who might be based in LA and they work in New York or Chicago or even Dubai for one week a month. Or stylists who work in Paris, but do one week a month in London. Or perhaps they live in Sydney, but do one week a month in Melbourne. I'm not suggesting that everyone is doing this or wants to do this, but it is definitely becoming a thing. And as we come out of COVID, I think that many traditional business models are changing and people are questioning how they want to work as a hairstylist. And many clients are questioning how they want to access a hairdresser. So you need to think of this from both the perspective of the employees that are Gen Z and consumers that are Gen Z and what they want from that mobility, and then to look for ways to make that work for you, perhaps by creating opportunities 
were salons in other states and cities to swap featured stylists once a month. Or that as a salon owner, that house calls become a real option and that the salon starts to become both a traditional salon and an agency for hairstylists to base themselves and to also do house calls at a premium price. And as I'm sure you can see, COVID has definitely made that something that salons are considering. The next point is that Gen Z value individual expression. In other words, in this world of mass availability of the same products and services, Gen Z value personalization. They value bespoke and customized products, services, and experience. So how does that impact us as salon owners? Does it mean that we offer more flexibility about how and when they work? Does it mean they're less likely to want to work in an environment that has a strict dress code and a way of working? And if it does, how can we create that opportunity so that it works for us as well? Does it mean that we change the the business model and allow those who, who want to be a business unit of one in whatever that means to you to become one? Because that is what many salons are doing. Instead of losing that team member completely, to a salon suite or for them to go completely freelance, they're creating hybrid employment working models. The third thing on my list is that this generation value inclusivity and diversity. Without doubt, they are more interested than what previous generations have been in human rights, whether it's about racial equality or in their acceptance of fluidity and sexual identity, whether it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender issues and in feminism. And you only have to turn on the TV to see that in matters related to race and in standing up against police violence, that they're demanding and creating real change. So what does that mean for for you as a salon owner? It means that Gen Z expect and want inclusivity and diversity, both as team members and as consumers. And if a brand advertises diversity but lacks diversity within its own team, then that's a complete lack of authenticity. The fifth point on the list is that Gen Z are moving from possession to access. So what does that even mean? Today, Consumption means having access to products and services, but not necessarily owning them. For example, think how many membership or sharing platforms there are that people use now, whether it's not owning a car, but sharing a communal car, or not owning a dress, but renting it for an occasion, or not owning a movie or music, but streaming it instead. This generation are more about accessing the experience than ownership of the experience. As consumers, we expect more than ever to consume products and services anytime and at any place. So how does that impact on a salon business? How does it impact on your opening hours, your business model? I'm sure you can see how this directly plays into the salon business model of co-working spaces where stylists belong as members and pay a monthly membership to belong and they pay an hourly fee to use the facilities. They don't necessarily want to own a salon, but they want access to a salon. How do salon owners need to evolve their business model to fit if that is what they wish to do? 
If you didn't hear my recent podcast, I think it was episode 81 with Lacey Hunter Felton from Hunter Collective. Check it out because they have a great, or she has a great example of a co-working space. And the last of the five points is that Gen Z expect brands to take a stand. I think that the world we live in now is a world where there are many huge brands that have enormous social, political, and financial muscle, and they are effectively becoming more powerful or are already more powerful than many governments. Gen Z see those corporations as needing to have a bigger social responsibility and accountability for their actions. But whether it's a big multinational corporation or your salon, they increasingly expect you to have an opinion and to support brands and causes because it's the right thing to do. So as a salon owner, thinking about Gen Z as both staff and clients, it's important that you choose to support the specific topics or causes that make sense for your brand and its consumers and to have something clear to say about those particular issues. And so some of what we've been talking about might be totally overwhelming to you. And that's the challenge. And it's not always easy. And the older you get for many people, the harder it is to embrace these changes. But I also think that regardless of what generation you're talking about, I believe that many of, many of us, many people, want the same fundamental things as to what people want and need, regardless of what generation they're from. They want the same thing from their place of work. For example, I think that people everywhere, regardless of the generation, want a good working environment with a great atmosphere. I think that people all want opportunities to learn. They want opportunities to grow. They want opportunities to give back. And of course, they want to be paid fairly for what they do. And so they should be. But it can't just be about money because as important as money is, it has to be about more than just a financial transaction. And maybe there are opportunities to offer things like health benefits and flexible schedules and variable business models within your business model. And I also believe that people want to work with and buy from brands that share the values that they do. And at different times in their career, people need and want leadership. They want to be led by someone that they can trust, who can make them better than what they would be or could do on their own. And finally, people want to feel that they belong and that they're part of something bigger than just them. But here's the thing. Even if you're doing all that, there will still come a day when some of your people will reach a time where they want something different to what you do. And when that day comes, if there's no way through it, then that's got to be okay too. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, it's not a case of all change overnight and upend how you think about your business and the people that you employ. But businesses need to evolve because the world we live in evolves and every new generation comes into a world that is different to the world that existed before them. So to wrap up, I want to thank Catherine for the initial question. And I also want to thank those of you who thank me for the podcast by giving us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. I really appreciate it. Ratings and reviews are extremely helpful 
and they're greatly appreciated. They do matter in the rankings of the show and they help other people to find my podcast. And I also obviously love to hear what it is that's been helpful for you. All you need to do to leave us a review is to search for Grow My Salon Business on Apple Podcasts. And then when you find it, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review. It really is that simple. And if you want to find out more about what we do, then visit growmysalonbusiness.com. And don't forget to follow us on Clubhouse at Anthony Whitaker and at Facebook and Instagram at Grow My Salon Business. So until next week, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.